I'm AJ Benza, and you're listening to Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh my God! Oh yes! She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Hey, DJ. So I, I reconnected recently with someone that I knew long ago, and I realized I had a video of us. So I'm trying to figure out where it is and how to find it, and I find it, and it's on a VHS tape. Do you even know what a VHS tape is, DJ? I do. You do. Okay. Did you have a VCR when you were a kid? Yeah, top loader. Okay, top loader. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, I have a bunch of my memories on VHS tapes, and I've got to transfer that shit over to a DVD because I can't watch. I don't have a VCR. I mean, I actually do have a VCR in my closet, (laughs) but it's not hooked up, and I don't plan on hooking it up. And Lord knows what what those... I I wouldn't even know how to use it anymore. I wouldn't trust it. Eat up your tape. Yeah, definitely. It would probably eat it up. So anyway, everybody out there, dust off your old VHS and camcorder cassette tapes and get them transferred to DVD by MP84 Video and Photo Archiving, because I know I'm going to do it. So if you have an adult child that tells you that they had a crappy childhood, you can whip out the DVD and prove them wrong. Much cheaper than therapy. Call MP84 at 310-753-5799. They'll do free pickup and delivery anywhere in LA, and I'm sure you can work out shipping from anywhere else. They also do photo slideshows for any occasion, with or without music, for rock bottom prices. Call 310-753-5799. You'll be glad you did. And tell them Vicky sent you, and you'll get a free hour in the first 10 hours transferred. MP84, transfer that stuff. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, Weezy, DJ, how you guys doing tonight? Excellent, how are you? Very good. You know, I'm actually, I'm feeling better, um... I think I'm coming out of like a really a darkness. Not that that there's a lot of hope out there. There's still a lot of question for hope, but I'm feeling more hopeful these days personally. Um, and I think part of it is that I've taken some actions. Mm. Um, I am in a program of recovery that teaches me that acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today, and to let go and let God and all of this stuff. But And I was actually at a meeting the other night where somebody shared that he, he had learned through his 33 years of recovery that accepting the unacceptable is the solution for him. And I thought about that, and I realized that for me, at this moment anyway, 
that's not the case. That there's, I don't know if you guys know the serenity prayer, but the serenity prayer is God grant me the courage to change the things I can, the, 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 God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, right? So um, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, yes, but the courage to change the things that I can yeah, that so I am not willing to accept the unacceptable all the time. There are times when the unacceptable is unacceptable. So there are times when there's I can't change the unacceptable. Like somebody else did something. I can't hmm. do anything about that. If somebody says something hurtful to me, like we've been talking lately about what uh, the Trumpers have been giving me bad reviews on Amazon and one stars when I block them. Well, it turns out my stars went down. They like really did impact my my. Mm. ratings. I can't do anything about it. I have to accept the unacceptable. That's mm. an, but then there are cases where there's somebody who owes me money and we had a contract. I don't have to accept the unacceptable. So I decided to take an action and I'm seeking legal counsel in that state and I'm going to pursue it because is it an ego thing? Is it because I want to be right? I, I do think there's something important about being accountable for what we say and do. Um, and then it's also this whole political climate about not accepting, I'm not gonna accept the unacceptable, I'm gonna sign every petition, I'm gonna march at every march, I'm gonna do everything I can do where I can. So I'm wondering, um, you guys, you, do you have any opinion on this? Do you, I need a petition flowchart because I cannot <laughs> keep track of the petitions I have signed. And it's uh, the, the workflow is overwhelming. I now have a printout of people I'm supposed to write to, the electors, so I have my work cut out for me this evening. But yes, I, I agree. You have to do whatever you can do, but then you have to, like the whole wisdom part of the serenity prayer. Ah, you know? And my serenity prayer is God grant me the wisdom to remember the serenity prayer. <laughs> and yeah, it's it really life is a tricky thing to do. It is. And and I think that fine line, DJ, how about you? You have an opinion? You don't have to have an opinion. DJ has I, way more opinions <laughs> and he's afraid of like unleashing on us. Oh, is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We're not getting political, right? No. Well um, we are now. We are now. We're we're letting it go. <laughs> go. <laughs> no, I don't have much to, to put in on this really. Um, the wisdom is the biggest thing. Like uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm often wrestling with how far do I take this? Like that's always in my mind of like, do I fight this or do I let this go? Well, that, well always... that's, ex that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. When it, when is it right to fight? When is it better to just let go? And, 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 and how much do you fight if you are fighting? I think part of it for me which took me a lot of years to learn is that if I'm only doing it to be right, it's more important to do the right thing than to be right. So if yeah. I'm only doing it to prove that I'm right, that's meaningless, has that's, no value. That's a big life lesson I think everybody has right. to get through at some point in their if life. You, if you actually believe that you could affect change, then take action. Oh, yeah, only if yeah. it's only. going okay, to yeah. only if it's going to cause an action to change. But if it's just to have the ego struck mm. Or just, just to get the last word on Facebook, no, walk away. Or, or anywhere in life, you yeah. know, on the phone, whatever, in a personal relationship, you know, that's just never worth it. You know, I want, I want somebody to know that I'm right, that I'm smart, that I got it figured out. It's all worthless bullshit. Yeah. But you, unless 
by my stating my opinion, it might affect somebody to, to, to take a different action. So I, I think that's the fine line. So talking about fine lines, so another one tonight, um, what is the line between what is okay to expose, to reveal, and where do you, do you, where do you draw a personal line do you draw a personal line? Because for me, I drew a lot of lines and I was very hidden. I'm a Scorpio. I can keep deep, dark secrets. And then there came a point in my life, and it came with recovery, I think, where I realized that the truth did set me free. Um, my sponsor had to remind me that telling the truth means I only have to tell one person. I don't have to tell everybody in the world, but I've taken it to that I have to tell everybody in the world, and that's my new way of doing things. But that doesn't work for everybody. And, and then there are protections of not revealing things that would hurt somebody. But for you guys, do, do you, like, where, where do you draw the line? Because Louise, Louise, you write, and so is there a line there for you? In terms of what, my opinions? In terms of... Your, well, yes, your opinions and then also things that have to do with other people. I try not to say anything that's going to be sort of purposefully vengeful mm -hmm. in any way. Mm -hmm. I, I just try to walk away from things of that nature. I'll, you know, I'll state my opinion. Um, for instance, if someone is telling me something at, you know, at dinner the other night, someone was telling me how horrible Hillary is. They weren't a Trump person, but they were telling me how horrible Hillary is. And I, finally, I just said, I'm a Hillary fan because I just thought I, I just need to say that. And maybe you'll you'll back down a little bit because I don't really want to hear this. It's not helpful in this emergency that we're in mm -hmm. right now to say that. It, you know, if Hillary had been better, she would have won. Like that's not help. That's not helping me. I'm I'm. We're here at a social event. So I'll, I'll be kind of... So what happened after you said that? Did she it change said, oh, anything? I don't mean, you know, I don't mean to offend you. No, it went fine. See, uh -huh. I, I don't ever attack. Right. I just simply state my truth. Mm -hmm. And then I sign, kind of just But say, it doesn't always get a, the response you're seeking, I would imagine. Sometimes people are not always respectful of a comment like that, I would think. I think or, they usually are. I think nice. most people are good mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't talking to... Melania, you know, I was talking to a normal person who just has a political opinion. Well, and then, she respected mine. I love that. Uh, recently, at at a Women Who Write, somebody said out loud to the forum, um, "Well, I didn't vote for either of them," and you know, internally, my response is my blood starts to boil mm -hmm. because to me, these are the people that cost us the election, mm -hmm. and so I or you know, Russia. <laughs> and you know I want to turn and I and I want to you know in my head I'm screaming at that person I didn't say a word because what first of all this is an this is an example of accepting the unacceptable what is my challenging her at this point going to do it, it, she's not going to remember in four years when it's time to pull a, le a lever again mm -hmm. so DJ do you do you I guess what I'm talking about is censorship this this is what I, do you censor yourself at all with your opinion and what you have to say very much I've ah. even shelved two books I was writing because after I got pretty far into both of them uh, I realized it would be really hurtful mm -hmm. to or potentially hurtful to, to people that I wasn't meaning it to be, mm -hmm. um, but they played parts in certain ways. Um, 
And after I thought about it more, I thought it might be more hurtful than, you know, there, there was no point in putting them in the line of fire like that. Like I did. Um, and, and it's not that I did it in my book in, in Don't Jump, because I, I really don't think that I took people down. I, I, mm. I think, Louise, you've read it, but I, I, I think I was fair to the people. I think I put the, the onus on, on Andy, the, char- the, yeah. the protagonist. But in the title, well, I went for a joke. Yeah. And uh, my book is called Don't Jump, Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, and My Fucking Mother. And the way that came about was, um, I was I was sitting in the Target parking lot on a rainy day and I was talking with my publisher and we were trying to come up with a subheading for my book and sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, that what's that? that? That's like the most overused expression. And he said, you need a left turn. You need something unexpected. And without even thinking, I literally... Out of my mouth came at my fucking mother. And we started to laugh. No, we can't do that. No, that would be terrible. How could I do that to my mother? My mother's alive. That's horrible. It's disrespectful. <laughs> and it really wasn't about that. It was just, it was funny. Yeah. And um, it took me like three months to break it to my mother. And, you know, it was, and, and I, I give my mother so much credit and I respect her so much. She, it was hard for her. It still continues to be hard for her when it's brought up. But <laughs> she's, ex- she's accepted the unacceptable. Because she couldn't go back and undo it. And we've moved forward. And actually, since that kind of whole discussion, our relationship has healed in many ways. And I think we're getting along better these days. Well, she's <laughs> got really good billing. She's got really good billing. <laughs> um, but this whole concept of, of censorship and where do we draw the line takes me to tonight's guest. Okay. Um, A.J. Benza was one of New York's most celebrated gossip columnists in the 1990s, writing both the hot copy and downtown columns for the New York Daily News. And back in those days, I used to send press releases 30 years ago, 25 years ago to to A.J. because I was booking rock and roll clubs and promoting rock and roll in New York. And he was the guy. And so I was sending him stuff and, and I was just a lowly promoter and I wasn't, I wasn't like hot enough to get his attention, but uh, it took Facebook for that to happen. <laughs> but anyway, um, during his reign, he was also a regular contributor to Playboy, Penthouse, Esquire, Cosmo, as well as his good friend John Kennedy Jr.'s popular political magazine, George. Remember George? I do. Wow. Um, while at the, at the Daily News, uh, AJ also made hundreds of regular weekly appearances on Inside Edition, Hard Copy, A Current Affair, Geraldo, and The Howard Stern Show. But it was his chats with Joan Rivers that catapulted him into a television career. In 1996, the E! Channel called with an offer for him to host a pilot called Mysteries and Scandals, which explored the underbelly of Hollywood while detailing the scandalous lives of the industry's biggest stars. And I want to talk to AJ about that. It's like I love this stuff. Right? Yes. <laughs> but but there's a fine line. Like, did he ever draw the line and say, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell that story? I don't think Or he's was the- it is always his job and he had to do it? I, I think so, I right? I think he absolutely relishes it well we're gonna we're gonna ask we're gonna we're gonna get the story on that um so that little pilot which was given very little hope went on to great popularity Louise loved it and eventually was a top rated show on e with over a million viewers each episode on e that that's a lot that's huge for cable the run ended after five years and it was also at E, where AJ then was able to launch his Too Hip for the Room, AJ After Hours, which was a late night talk show fashioned after Hugh Hefner's Playboy After Dark. And the show lasted 
four weeks. Oh, poor. It wasn't uh, scandalous enough. Yeah, I guess not. Um, or maybe he didn't look good in pajamas. I don't know. We'll have to see. Oh, no, sure he's he adorable. Did. He's so handsome. Yeah, of course he did. Hot. AJ's film credits include Ransom, Conspiracy Theory, Theory Chump Change, P.S. Your Cat is Dead, and Rocky Balboa. Speaking of Frank Stallone, we mentioned him before. Uh, he's also an author with two memoirs under his belt. Fame, Ain't It a Bitch, came out in 2000. And the Amazon bestseller, 74 and Sunny, which he came to Women Who Write last year. And Wheezy, lo- oh, can't say enough good I stuff. I love this book. But you're going to talk to AJ. You're going to have yes. to tell him about that. Um, and he's currently turning that book into a television series. He's adapting wow. it for television. He was also an executive producer on the adaption of the best-selling young adult book, So Be It, which recently won Best Picture at the San Diego Film Festival. And will be in theaters next spring. And I think, unless I'm crazy, I think Cloris Leachman is in it. We're going to have to ask him about that. Wow. I remember somebody who was visiting us was, was in that film. And he's currently producing The Hard Way Out, as well as Pure Speed, and the James Franco Attached, Where All Light Tends to Go. He's also currently writing his third book. He's a husband, a daddy. And gratefully, he squeezed us in. Hey, AJ, thanks for coming tonight. Absolutely. I love you. Of course I'm going to show up and talk to you. I would love this. You're, you're fabulous. I'm so excited to, to hear your story because we haven't had anybody on the show, AJ, who's, who's a journalist, a columnist, and who, who's been on sort of the other side of things. And, and I'm a writer. Louise is a writer. DJ is a writer. And so a lot of our listeners are writers. Okay, so little AJ Benza. <laughs> so so you're, in, you're in Brooklyn, right? I, yeah, well, I was born in Brooklyn. Then we all moved to Long Island uh, in the uh, early 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I grew up in West Islip, Long Island, a little beach town in Suffolk County, which was the best. Uh, what a great place to grow up. Um, and then, you know, naturally, as I got older, I wanted more. And uh, Greenwich Village beckoned me, and I went there, and then in 19- Okay, wait, wait. Before you get to Greenwich Village, so, so you're a little kid. What, what do you want to be when you grow up when you're a little kid? I, I always wanted to be remembered. I always wanted to be seen, known, heard. I, I wanted to be anybody, a combination of Jimmy Cagney, Frank Sinatra, uh, Every cool actor, the Bowery Boys, uh, Mike Douglas, Merv Griffin, gay, (laughs) straight. If they made people laugh and they were interesting and people knew their name, Uh that's what I wanted to do. I so relate to that. Uh, did you sing? Did you act? Did you were you in school plays when you were little? What? No, no, I did a couple of little little things in mm-hmm. fifth or sixth grade. But no, I didn't act until college. Then I I minored in theater mm-hmm. while I was a journalism major. But no, I didn't I didn't do that. That was kind of corny in the seventies for mm-hmm. a, a tough Italian kid. Mm-hmm. You can't sign up for acting lessons or <laughs> getting plays. No, of course not. <laughs> Absolutely not. What, what did your parent? Were your parents supportive? of you what did they want you to be my I, I the reason why i am what i am for good or bad is because my parents and everybody around them let me say what i wanted to be and they believed in me and they just said you could so do whatever you want fantastic you could do whatever so when, when relatives came over and uh there was 25 Italians around the table and my father's homemade wine was pouring and <laughs> Uncle Peter was playing the guitar and we were singing whatever songs. And, and they told me to get on the table and imitate Georgie Jessel or imitate <laughs> Johnny Carson or whoever it was. I did it and everybody laughed and 
I never had to go to bed by a certain time. <laughs> my father was my biggest fan. Uh, and, you know, my, my father, uh, speaking of uh, a tough Sicilian guy, mm-hmm. uh, ex-cop, ex-undercover narcotic agent, his best friends in high school was, uh, were, were Buddy Hackett. Okay. Wow. But when he went to the Coast Guard mm-hmm. the day after uh, Pearl Harbor, he ended up becoming great friends with Sid Caesar. Wow. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy that I, I don't know how many funnier men there are than Buddy Hackett and Sid Caesar. Mm-hmm. So uh, he appreciated comedy. He appreciated somebody that wanted to talk and make everybody laugh and perform. And he he wasn't able to do it because he uh, my mom got pregnant. Bef- uh, as he left for World War II, uh, while he was away, he found out she was holding, uh, carrying uh, his, his daughter. She was holding. Holding, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She was she was carrying his daughter. And uh, I have a family man aspect of me. And my father, once he knew he had a child, when he came back from war, he didn't answer any of Buddy Hackett or Sid Cease's requests to follow them and come wow. with us. Yeah, I know. Wow. Uh, you know, I know. Was your father a naturally funny guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Funny, oh. funny, tough, tough. Could have been could have been anything in terms of it could have been a great entertainer, mm. but he put family first. Mm-hmm. And how can I blame him for that? Uh, that's so romantic. It makes me cry. Uh, but, and you wrote a beautiful book about it. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That, 74 yeah, and Sunny. Yeah, beautiful. That, yes. Thank you. Um so, and we'll get to the book later. So, okay, mm-hmm. so, so, so you were encouraged, which I have to believe when our parents support us, anything becomes possible, mm-hmm. um, and which set the tone nicely. Okay, so you go to college, you're studying, what makes you want to, when did you start writing? What makes you want to be a journalism major? In, uh, in my 11th, uh, 11th grade or 12th grade, I took a creative writing class because I just, I didn't want to work, and I figured this will be simple. We'll we'll do whatever. Mm-hmm. An old teacher named Miss Camholtz, a real battle axe, and she uh, gave us an assignment to write a story. No one could really write anything good, hmm. but I was a big stickball player, especially since I came from Brooklyn. Stickball mm-hmm. was huge, mm-hmm. and I wrote this little story about a little kid, me, who hits a home run for his uh, father, who's in a hospital dying, and. He races to the hospital after the home run to tell his dad he hit a home run for Papa. It was called a home run for Papa. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and, of course, the father dies after he knows his son is the home run. But I read that story in class, and every girl cried. Aww. And I, something happened in my body that I said, well, whatever that is, I'm doing that. I want girls to like <laughs> me and cry. And I want to get an emotion from, from girls. Uh-huh. And uh, so whatever that meant, performing, writing, acting, it meant I want chicks. You know, if, <laughs> it, 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 it's not, the, the weird thing is if, if I was an inner city kid and had no money and, and, and uh, pushing drugs was one of the options, uh, I might have done that because that, that gets chicks right. in certain areas. Right. But in my little lily white town, uh, they dug the story. So <laughs> I was a writer. And then I just... And then I just uh, had it in my head I was going to write, and that was a very big mountain to climb, even though I went to college for journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, it was impossible to go from college to get a, a, a writing job in New York. Okay, that's what I want to hear about. So <clears throat> where would you go to school? C.W. Post University uh-huh. in yeah. Nassau, beautiful school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, 
you know, I I, I I took every course, and basically, when you when you study journalism, you meet a lot of guys who, uh, a lot of journalists who did well, but they just tell you war stories. Right. They don't tell you how to write. They may tell you how to go after a story, etc. But no one can tell you here's how you write. It has to be. It has to be in you. Or in my case, it has to be something that you seek out. And that meant I read everything I can get my hands on. Uh, initially, it was everything about sports. Mm -hmm. Initially, it was everything about Yankees, uh, the Giants, football, baseball, the Knicks. I read every article. I knew every sports writer. So I, I, had, my, I had my head pointed toward be, being a sports writer. And that's, that's essentially what happened. I ended up uh, getting a job at uh, Newsday, which is mm -hmm. a you know great paper on Long Island, mm -hmm. uh, as a part-time high school sports writer. Okay, so had oh when you were in high school? No, oh. I, no, I wrote about high school sports. Oh. So how my son is a broadcast journalism major, and sp sports is his. He wants to be a sportscaster. That's his passion. So how did you, how did you get that gig, that first gig? I met an old. I, I found out there was an old guy who worked for a little uh, a little newspaper in Huntington, Long Island, called the <laughs> Huntington Record. The guy had what I call uh, baby arms. It, it's some kind of affliction where you know he couldn't put his arms in his pockets. It was he was like deformed in a way, and no one really was friendly with the guy. It was just, it was it was a shame because he had total recall. And I found out later he 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 drew battleships that were magnificent, that went in textbooks. The guy was brilliant. And he had this job at the Huntington Record. And I said, I really want to write sports. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a job to go to high school sports sporting events. And he gave me $15 an article to go watch the game, come back home, and type it on mm -hmm. a typewriter. Right. And then give him the copy, mm -hmm. drive there, and then he would take the copy and transpose it and mm -hmm. uh i knew that was the guy to get in with because he had a part-time job at newsday uh-huh and i knew if he liked me he'd get me in newsday mm -hmm. and that was a a, a big step because once i got into newsday then i was around a lot of people who uh who were real journalists mm -hmm. i wasn't full-time i was a part-time hack in the back of the room who answered phone calls and wrote about high school football basketball baseball fencing volleyball you name it mm -hmm. but i was around major journalists, mm -hmm. guys that have gone on to huge things. Tom Verducci is, a, now he's on Fox doing mm -hmm. baseball, a World Series. Wally Matthews was the president of the Boxing Association. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, there are so many names that we were all these kids, mm -hmm. but that gave me the bones to learn the structure of writing, to learn really what it is to find the story, be in the locker room uh, and find the story. Uh, and, and once I learned that, then, then things happened. I just got lucky. I worked hard and got lucky. And what happened was in 1990, I, I was married to my high school sweetheart from 86 to 91. Mm -hmm. But suddenly, um, and she knew I wanted to do big things, but I wouldn't go out of state. You know, you, you, when you're a journalist back then, you had to go work in Ohio or you North still Carolina. Have to do that. Yeah, and I would not do it because my I said, son I'm, won't do it. I'm either. good enough. I'm good <laughs> enough for New York. I'm good enough. I w and I stuck it out. And wow. one day I got a divorce, mm -hmm. and um, I just started going out to Manhattan. Mm -hmm. I had a few bucks, and I started seeing a lot of great stuff. I mean, just every I started seeing supermodel. I met I met some gay 
nightclub guy named 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 Georgie. I don't even know his last name, but Georgie got me in every club because he took a liking to me, and I started seeing everything. And I knew people because I knew I knew pop culture. Mm-hmm. When I started seeing Cindy Crawford making out with models and Mickey Rourke doing certain things and what have you, uh, it it fascinated me. So I I called the woman who was a gossip columnist at. New York Newsday, the, the city version. Mm-hmm. I gave her some tips, and she said, where, where, where do you see this? And she was in her 40s. I said, well, I go out here and there. And she said, do you want to help me out? So she started sending me on these little uh, invitations to go to certain parties, mm-hmm. Madonna's parties. So suddenly, I go from this guy who was married to his high school sweetheart in Long Island, and now I'm at Madonna's sex party, and uh, <laughs> you know, I was in all these <laughs> incredible rooms where I wasn't jaded at all. So I saw everything with five eyes. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, it was a, a, a time in New York where uh, Mort Zuckerman, who owns the New York Daily News, mm-hmm. before he owned it, wanted to buy it. Mm-hmm. He happened to like the editor I worked for, Linda Stacy. She was sexy. I remember Linda. She was, yeah, you know Linda. Mm-hmm. So he said, Linda, I want to do something. I want you to come aboard. And Linda just happened to say, because she liked me, Oh, I gotta take I gotta take my guy with me. Wow! And I was her uh, on top of chasing stories. I got Linda her coffee at Phillips Coffee on Forty Third Street. <laughs> I took her dry cleaning. I even put bets in at OTB when she wanted. Wow! I did everything for how, her. Now, how old are you when this is going on? Thirty-one. Okay. So I was I was late. So well, no. So you but you'd been you'd been pursuing this since college. You, yeah. You stuck with it. Yeah, but I knew once I met Linda, I'm mm-hmm. she was the goose, mm-hmm. and I was her. Fre- she called me her fresh leg. She didn't want to go out every night. She mm-hmm. she couldn't go to clubs. Mm-hmm. I was the guy. Mm-hmm. So suddenly I was bringing back stories. So when I when she said I want AJ to come with me, it was a big deal. Suddenly mm-hmm. I went from earning I'm I, I, what was I making sixteen thousand dollars a year. I was nobody. Mm-hmm. To uh, Mort's gonna hire me. He wants. I'm taking you. What do you want to make? What do you need? And I didn't. I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know, fifty thousand. I don't know. What <laughs> I, and she said, Oh, that's that's no problem. And she came back, and I got like seventy. I couldn't believe it. I, I never <laughs> saw that kind of money in my life. Right. My father never made that in a year. Mm-hmm. So now I'm with Linda at the Daily News, and we're doing gossip, and everything's cool. And I'm chasing Michael Jackson. I'm, ch- you know, I'm right. It, it just happened like that. And gossip happened to explode. Okay, so tell, so tell me about that. Because, I mean, you were a huge figure in New York. I mean, I was, I was telling these guys that back in the day, I used to send you press releases for the, for the rock and roll stuff I sure. was doing. And I was too peon in my thing to get into your call. You know, I, I got into Cindy a couple times and, and Liz once, I think. But, but anyway, um, did you... What, Okay, all right. First of all, I want it, we we need some stories, but uh-huh. but um, was there anything that you did you ever draw the line and say I'm not gonna put, I'm not gonna put that in? Yeah, Linda taught me that. Linda taught me whatever people do in their bedrooms is their business, and no kids, no children. I love that. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 if you're gonna write about somebody, they're not gonna be surprised tomorrow. Their names in the paper. They're gonna know about it. So that meant whatever dirt, whatever story you had. We had to call them and let them know, look, there's a story tomorrow coming out. Because people think it's okay. People, you know, now we live in this Kardashian era where your name printed means so many great things. But, Mm -hmm. you know, 20, 30 years ago, if you didn't know your name was in the paper, it was 
time for a nervous breakdown. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, if things aren't said exactly right, Mm -hmm. it's horrifying for people. Mm -hmm. So she taught me that. I I give her all the props. But we got very powerful, very quick, to the point where, you know, I didn't know any... I'm I'm on the phone with Mayor David Dinkins. Hold on. Donald Trump's on the phone. Hello, Donald. Can you hold on? It was... Uh, Bruce Cutler representing John Gotti. It was everything was going on. Mm -hmm. So I was privy to all of that. And Linda taught me a lot of the ropes. But what Linda didn't want to do anymore and never wanted to do was hit the nightclubs. Mm -hmm. And my job was to tell her, look, there's so much stuff going on after (laughs) after one o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'm the guy to see it. And here's the thing. You know, there's Richard Johnson, there's Cynthia Adams, Mm -hmm. Liz Smith, there's this one, that one. I was the first... Well, Richard Johnson's a, a good-looking Ivy League kid. He came mm-hmm. from money. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a Brooklyn guy. I'm a street guy. I'm not gay. I'm not English. I'm not a. I'm not a chick. So the way I reported things or went after things was very different for people in nightclubs to see me approach them. Mm-hmm. And I was a little bit scary when I got a little bit, a little bit more under my feet. Uh, so I was a different animal. I went at stories that. Um, did that help you or did that hurt you? Do you think it helped me initially? It helped me because. Nobody, my my thing was no one's going to stay out later than I am and I'm going to get in that corner booth mm-hmm. and I'm going to go shot for shot, drink for drink, bump for bump, you, whatever it is that's lined up, I'm, I'm with it. And that was part of me letting them know I'm one of you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you... Can I curse? Yes, you well, can. Well, fucking shit happens when <laughs> when people are high, and 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 and, and I was a good looking dude, and I, I was able to drag the pretty girl in. And when when you start to learn um, that that you the currency of I got two hot girls. I never went out with one. I took two girls with me, <laughs> and oh my god! Once I knew how it was done. Then I left everybody in the dust. Well, but well, you weren't like <clears throat> setting people up to come up with a story, though. You were just letting things unfold. I'm assuming the most the the, the way it worked was um, look going out at night was you know seventy percent of it was fun. Just how right. I love being there. Mm-hmm. I love looking for chicks. I mm-hmm. wanted to get laid. I wanted to have fun. Mm-hmm. But I knew in doing that, there's stories around. And once the, the publicists and the people around New York learned that I was somewhat of a power broker, mm-hmm. I could make your club, make your record, make your group, make your restaurant, or break it, they, they made sure they came to me. But it wasn't as simple as taking their, their story, as you know, mm-hmm. or their item and printing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to get very discerning about what we wanted, how I wanted the, the column to read. So... Uh, you know, I wouldn't just take some nice little thing that might might make you happy and put money in your pocket mm-hmm. because your client's thrilled. Mm-hmm. I'll print that, but Vicky, you got to give me some shit, right? <laughs> we got to give had, me something. We've had this conversation. <laughs> this know, is great. It's yeah. quid pro quo. <laughs> right. You know, okay. So <laughs> Bruce Willis was there. Great. But what happened to Naomi Campbell? You give me. Well, what do you know that no one knows? You'll never be found out. My lips are sealed. I've never given up a source. So tell me what you got. And and, and that's the way gossip columns work. I always wanted to do a, a feature story on the machinations of a gossip column because if you line them up from Monday to Sunday, mm-hmm. you'll see you know a big story here and then some jerky item about Governor Pataki had the stuffed shells at Patsy's. <laughs> 
Like, who cares? But, you know, that publicist who represents Pataki, Pataki gave him information about Bill Clinton, blah, blah, blah. And then on Thursday, you run that as your big Uh stuff. And there's so much to it. Mm -hmm. And if it was really done correctly, uh, a gossip column should be run with credits at the end, like a movie. Mm -hmm. Because if I had to list everybody who contributed to a column, Mm -hmm. oh my God. God. So now did you ever get, so you had, I I like the fact that Linda had you call people and let them know. Did you ever make that call and somebody cry and beg you not to run something? Yeah. And so what would happen in those cases? Uh, You know, if the, well, always, if it was a really big story that was going to be the the wood Mm -hmm. or page one, Mm -hmm. uh, page one, two or three, it was hard to get to, to, for us to dump that story. We had to negotiate something. Mm -hmm. There was one in particular where a woman, a girl, a woman now who is a terrific writer for uh, a number of magazines, particularly Vanity Fair, Nancy Joe, Nancy Joe Sales, mm-hmm. uh, but she was a freelancer, and it turned out uh, after Woody Allen had went through his Soon Yi thing, mm-hmm. that uh, Nancy coughed up one night at Cafe Tobacco, a little loaded, that Woody Allen was a pen pal of her when she was fourteen, and oh, wow. she had the letters. And oh wow! And I had to get real chummy with her and wanted to see the letters. And I said to Linda, "Wait, there's a story here. This Woody Allen, he's out of his fucking mind." You oh, know? Oh my God! It's not just soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I told, we told this this Nancy Joe we're going to run it, and she just went, "Oh, you can't do that! All this, all that." And on that occasion, we got tough with her. We said, just calm down. It, it's going to come out. Woody Allen is doing this. It, it, you have to go back to, to the 90s. It was such a huge story. Mm-hmm. It's going to come out. You're going to one day show these things to people because that's what we'll take care of you. But, you know, she did. I kind of lost her as a, I don't want to say friend, mm-hmm. but I had to, you know, there was no way I was going to go back to her one day. So sometimes you got away the column, the story. Uh, but very few of them are worth losing someone's friendship. Well, was there ever a time when you said, okay, I'm not going to run that? Yeah, there was plenty of times where I wouldn't go. And that more or less, more of those times, and there there were a lot of times where the, a particular celebrity, movie star would call me, and there are plenty of them that give you dirt. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of them, and there's... They uh, give you dirt on themselves because they want the publicity? Well, no, they give you dirt on someone else because they know there's something on them that's going to come out. I see. And, (laughs) hey, don't print this, but I'll tell you what I got. Mm. And you kind of weigh it. But there have been celebs that are major, major motion picture stars who... I've I've sat down with and and they've said can you help me can we kill this can we do this or that with this and I've taken care of them mm-hmm. and some have repaid the debt and some are just I'm assholes make you an offer you can't Yeah refuse. you know you do yeah. you come at them like that mm-hmm. and it, it should be it should be understood uh but some guys didn't hold up their end of the bargain I mean I helped out Mel Gibson forget it sliced alone forget it mm-hmm. i mean the kind of things that end marriages mm-hmm. and i was there for them did they repay well sly put me in rocky balboa 20 years later mm-hmm. did that have to do with what i i don't know i did read for the role but you know mel gibson never never repaid me but i wasn't i wasn't looking for to be repaid but but you know as long as i know i did something good for that guy mm-hmm. he was i was a, see you know, the, the thing is you're a fan at heart. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're fans of these people. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to really bury them. And you, some, just want to bury, you just want them with like a few toes sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> 
you want to give them a shot and let them know, look, I know what's going on. You're going to survive the shot, but you're not going to, I'm not going to just let go of this and not run it Mm -hmm. because page six will, Mm -hmm. or someone else will. So, you know, I got to do something with it. Unless, Mm -hmm. unless you got something really big that, I'll run instead and let's talk. Mm-hmm. And that's when the, 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 so the, it's the a lot of give and take. It's a lot of negotiation. It's all bartering. It's, it's a big uh, barter, but big barter thing. There was a guy we had, and I'll tell you real quick. There's a guy that uh, we had over a barrel for, I forget the story, but he begged us. And then about three days later, he said, I think I have something. Uh, great old Jewish guy. He said, my wife goes to bed at night and speaks to a, a particular woman. Okay. And this woman's husband owns a, a, a car rental place in, New, in, in uh, Los Angeles, uh, Rent-A-Wreck. And it turns out that this man uh, met Michael Jackson. And Michael Jackson has befriended this, this person's son. And this kid is going to Disney World and Euro Disney. And, and we're going, oh, my God, Michael Jackson has a 13-year-old friend. Mm-hmm before any of the allegations came out. Mm-hmm. So we knew everything. And he said, do you think, is that enough that I give you that? And we said, yeah, that's enough. Mm-hmm. And we ended up running the kid's name, Jordy Chandler. Michael Jackson has a new friend. He's 13-year-old Jordy Chandler. When they're free, they go to Disney World. They go here. He sleeps over. And it blew up into eventually the, the, the allegations of, of, uh, of sexual assault and everything else. Uh, so yeah, we were, we broke that story. That was our column. And how, all right, but I thought Linda had the rule about no kids. How did that, uh, how well, did that sit? Well, yeah, that's a good point. It, it, we, we weren't detailing it, but instead we went around it as if, isn't this ironic? You know, the point is that guy was whoring out his son. That man, I forget his first name, but the guy that owned rent a wreck was whoring, literally whoring out his son to be near Michael Jackson. So Michael Jackson could at some point, save his company and give him tons of money. Mm. And it was a, they had their own little deal going. Mm-hmm. And that made Linda sick and it made everybody sick. So we didn't know the extent of what was going on with Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. We just thought it was an odd friendship. Mm-hmm. If we had known that there was an alleged, uh, you know, touching and who knows, God knows what else, uh, we might have handled it differently. But, um, you know, you, you you almost can't turn a blind eye towards something like that. That was, as you know, one of the stories of uh, the of, of, of the decade, of decades uh-huh. and mm-hmm. decades. Also, I just want to interject. That's a child as a victim, so you kind of almost have to report on that. Yeah, I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have felt good not saying something, knowing that that kid had no say in the matter. What ha- so? What happened to that kid? Do you know? Sure. Well, Jordy Chandler was the first kid of of, of several that was under the Michael Jackson spell. Mm-hmm. The parents got money, plenty of money, and eventually uh, we broke the story and it got very odd. Um, and Michael Jackson had given that family upwards of $20 million initially to, mm-hmm. to let it go away. And then it kept coming back, different, different things, and other kids showed up. And we didn't follow all the kids because mm-hmm. this went on for years, but mm-hmm. I went after him. And it was, uh, you know, and then... Then I take over. Then I said, how, how, much, how close can I get to Michael Jackson? Mm-hmm. And then I ended up dating Michael's, I ended up dating uh, um, Jermaine Jackson's ex-wife. 
beautiful girl. She's out here, and I used to come out here, and we were dating, and I she had two young sons that were Michael's nephews, and he was supporting them, but I learned a lot from her. And then I got to know LaToya, and LaToya gave me, LaToya gave Michael up, oh my God, left, right, and center. She, oh. she, she gave up Michael like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of people calling us with stories. It was overwhelming, mm-hmm. overwhelming. When you see pictures of the hallway of his bedroom and six locks and alarms that go off when someone gets, come on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're whatever he was at that point, 40 year old man, and there's a 12 year old kid that comes over and give me a break. Mm-hmm. That had to be that had to be plastered in the media, mm-hmm. and it did. And as a result, uh, I lost that friendship with that woman because Michael he cut her off. Michael could be really vindictive and tough, and once he found out that he and she wasn't giving me dirt, mm-hmm. but once he found out that I was around her, she begged me, "You're gonna hurt us. You're gonna hurt my kids." And Michael cut her off. No more money, no more anything. He could be a real fuck, Michael. Michael's real calculated. He was real calculating. He 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 knew what he was up to. He was not an innocent dude at all. Okay, so let's talk about the other side of the spectrum. I, I see that you had um, a friendship with John John. And uh, and so how did that happen? How did you become friends with John Kennedy? John Jr.? Kennedy Jr., uh, Oh, how, how do you not love the guy? He, uh, any man, any woman, you you know, you want to be with him, hang out with him. I saw him at a bodega. He smiled at me, mm. and I <laughs> I swear I don't think I moved for an hour. Right. I, yeah, I was no. under the spell. He had that. Mm. Well, his uh, <clears throat> there was a there was a girl named Rosemary Terenzio, who is. Um, a tough chick from the Bronx, Italian girl. She ended up getting a job working uh, for a company that, sorry, that partnered up with uh, with John when they wanted to start George Magazine. Mm-hmm. So she came in as a result of the company's merging. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, John liked the fact that she was so loyal and, and she was so quiet and you couldn't get anything out of her. She became, she became his right-hand man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I happened to be really tight with her. So she would give me nothing. But I would hear things through the grapevine. I'd run it through a row. She'd say, no, no, no. And to her credit, she gave me nothing. Mm-hmm. But um, as a result of, uh, of me being nice to him in the press and good to him, I started to write for George Magazine. He got to like me. I went to some Nick games with him. And at the time, I was dating a girl, a, a model that he knew and Carolyn Bissett knew. So we ended up like, having breakfast in the morning in Tribeca. And I got to know the guy in a really great way, just a, just a super, I, I tell people, you, you walking into a nightclub with John was like uh, showing up at heaven with God. Like, <laughs> it, it just, the entrance couldn't have been, you know, gorgeous guy uh, and just the coolest guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rosemary, I, I, and then and, and one night I'm out and uh, it was right around when he was getting married. I was hanging out at a restaurant. I'm sitting down with Jack Nicholson and Ashley Judd, who were huh. having some fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of Jack's buddies going, Jack, we got to go. You got to get to that thing. And I go, what thing? Where are you going? He goes, I don't want to go. He says, the kid, the kid's getting married. The kid's getting married this weekend. And I'm just, you know, I know that's something. Mm-hmm. So uh, he said, I'm supposed to pose for, I'm supposed to pose as Santa Claus for George Magazine. So he didn't have to say anything more than that. I knew that meant that the kid was John. Uh, John's getting married. So I said, oh, yeah, good for you. So him, me and Jack and a couple of guys went to Spy Bar down on Green Street. We had a ball. We got high. It was the best. He never went to his shoot. <laughs> they were looking for him. And I called Rosemary and I said, I know the wedding is, is this weekend. 
I know it's in some island off Georgia, which I never even knew existed. <laughs> and she said, AJ, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no wedding. She stayed true. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, just tell John that I know and I'm going to give him his piece and I'm not going to write it. And it would have wow. been the biggest story ever. Wow. Um, so I never did it. It would have been... You can imagine that 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 yeah. newspaper would have been in the in, on the walls of the Daily News forever. <laughs> right. Uh, so I gained a lot of a lot of points with John after mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Now he never gave me stories after that, but mm -hmm. but I, I I as I went as I got further along as a gossip columnist, I, I started to get a little bit. Um, I love the action, but I started to really get friends. My, the girl I was dating was a big model. You know, she'd have dinner with Madonna. Their kids would play together. It got very weird because they knew that your boyfriend's AJ. And mm -hmm. I mean, how can I hang out with you? Mm -hmm. You know, something's going to be said. Mm -hmm. Got very uncomfortable. So um, I started getting itchy. And uh, it was time to, it was just time for me to split. Um, and I liked, I liked hanging out with John. Mm -hmm. I liked being able to talk to Jack Nicholson. Mm -hmm. I got I got pulled in by that. Mm -hmm. It was very alluring. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know where it got me, but I fell I fell into that. It's that you get there's a love affair you have with people like that. Mm -hmm. And what does it get me? To this day, I can call Jack Warren. This one, that one. I mean, I don't know what it does beyond that, but it was kind of cool for a long time, and mm -hmm. I got to hang out with them and stay at their houses for weeks on end and stuff. And to, again, it meant nothing monetarily, but everything for a kid who always wanted to be an entertainer or an actor or be known or you were living tell your dream. stories. You were living your dream. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily a dream that was going to make me money, mm -hmm. but what, it, it, it the will. Life. It you will. Li you yeah. were living the yeah. life you had envisioned. Yeah. I get it, because I... Have that with the people in the living room, and it's not making me money. But I'm, <laughs> well, that, I, but I love the life. But yeah, I, 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 I I'm. That's that's why I want to do the podcast. I'm going to get my third book ready, and it's going to be stories about the stuff that I've went through in this town. And mm -hmm. my, I'm, remember, ever seen the movie Zelig? Yeah, I love Zelig. You know, yeah. that, where he's just always where mm -hmm. things are happening. Mm -hmm. That's my life. It, it, big stories happen, and I'm like, oh. I, I know that, you know, Phil Spector kills a girl. Oh, Lana Clarkson was my first girlfriend. Um, <laughs> anything that goes down. Frank Sinatra, I saw him singing the Four Seasons on his 80th birthday. The last time he sang, I saw him. People go, what? It should, I just, I have to. Whatever. Yes, you have to tell the stories. So I'm going to tell those stories. Uh, I'm, thinking, I'm one of these people who can't write the book till I have the great title, uh -huh. which is dumb. <laughs> no, I get that completely. And I, I got to get the great title, then I'll write. Mm -hmm. uh, don't jump. You know what I'm saying. It's got to be there. I got right? you. So um, I'm, I'm there. I'm close. I'm mm -hmm. close. If things like that, your your brain is working even when you're not realizing that it's oh, working. Yes. Then it's just, you're in the shower and boom, oh, there it is. Of course. Right? Of so, course. Okay, so tell me, how did, how did Mysteries and Scandals, so how did you segue, <clears throat> you're, you're, a, you're a gossip columnist. I know Joan Rivers was very impactful she on your- She started me so, in Okay, television. so what happened with Joan? Well, Linda Stacy, as as it would be, uh, as it were, didn't like to go on television. She mm -hmm. wasn't she wasn't good at it, but mm -hmm. she wouldn't say that. So uh, they wanted her to so, you go- you know Richard Vettieri? Because Richard had a thing That's with Linda Stacy. Yeah, he was a writer. He's a writer in New York, and Richard, yeah, that's Richard a very and Linda name. had a thing. Yeah, back I in know those that days. name. Yeah, 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 I do. Mm -hmm. But Linda didn't want. It. Joan Rivers had a show every Friday called Gossip. She had a show, a mm -hmm. talk show, but every Friday was Gossip, Gossip, Gossip. Mm -hmm. And she'd have some gossip columnists on. And Linda couldn't make it, and she sent me. Now, I love Joan. Mm -hmm. Talk about when I was a kid. You know, I stood up for Johnny Carson. I loved all the talk show. I wanted a talk show one day. Mm -hmm. So to talk to Joan Rivers was insane. I had three Yorkies. Joan was obsessed with Yorkies. Mm -hmm. I met, we met, 
I did her show. I killed. And she turned to me and said, you're coming back every Friday. And suddenly I had a Friday gig. Mm. That turned into a Geraldo gig. Then it was Inside Edition. Then it was hard copy. Then it got to a point where I'd write my column every day. And this is when Bill... O'Reilly was hosting Inside Edition. Mm-hmm. I write, and all these tabloid shows, Current Affair, they would read the columns and decide what they wanted to put on the air that night, and they'd call me, and they'd say, we're going to come on, we're going to come with the cameras and shoot you for this such-and-such story, and they'd give you 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I'd be tight, turn my chair around and talk to the camera and make 500 bucks. And then I started, as it went on, saying, no, I get 1000 now. <laughs> no, I get I get two thousand now. It got to be whatever they said. They they paid me, so I was making a fortune. Mm-hmm. And I was on the E show, the Gossip Show, which mm-hmm. was the precursor to TMZ. Mm-hmm. And then um, Joan Rivers said to a lot of people, "I went to her house one day for a holiday party, and she stopped the room and said, this kid's going to be a star. If he calls you, you take his call.'" And wow, and that was a, a baptism of sorts. Mm-hmm. But after that, uh, I got a call from the E Channel. And they said, uh, we think we have a show that might be good for you. And uh, they explained Mysteries and Scandals, a New York City kind of reporter, fish out of water. And uh, they had no money to fly me out, nothing. Mm -hmm. I flew out. uh, We shot the pilot. It was a five-minute thing. Uh, They ended up going forward with nine shows. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. But I had to leave New York. But I got fired. <laughs> Pete Hamill, my idol, the mm-hmm. guy that I wanted to be as a writer, mm-hmm. didn't like gossip. He ended up firing me. And I got hired by E making one twentieth of the money I made in New York. Wow. But those nine shows became 178 episodes, mm-hmm. became a five-year run. And uh, then I finally got my talk show, which didn't last long. But I started to really do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It, it it all happened for a reason. Uh, Absolutely, not wanting to do gossip anymore. But then it all, it, and and then I ended up in L.A., which I never thought I'd be out here. I always thought I'd make it in New York and stay in New York. Mm-hmm. And I cried on the way out here. I didn't want to be out here at all. So what? Yeah, well, no, the the show was successful, mm-hmm. and suddenly you're working, and you you're meeting these beautiful girls. You're getting laid. You miss New York less and less. <laughs> you, know, you get you get into cocaine, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden someone's got pain pills, and you you have your you you have your life laid out. Uh, listen, um, you're gonna give me three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, but uh, you can't tell anybody. But we're gonna start the show next year, the development deal. You, the, things happen that you go. You're gonna pay me to do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand this. Can I can I go to New York? You can go to New York, but we're gonna come up. We're gonna come up with an idea for you. Uh, but here's three fifty. Uh, you know, I I just didn't. I couldn't believe that happens. Mm-hmm. And that's nothing compared to what people get mm-hmm. for development deals. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was very sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then that also led to a lot of problems for me that that I'm not the only one, you know, mm-hmm. to stay up all night and go to the after hours. And it was, <laughs> it was great for material, mm-hmm. but I'm sure I knocked off. I, I, I hope, I hope no more than five years off my life, <laughs> but I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So AJ, I, I, I could sit and talk to you all night. You're, you're a fabulous storyteller. I look forward to your podcast. I hope I'm I'm around. Maybe I won't be around. Better have me quick. (laughs) Give me back quick. So, so, all right. So what we wrap with every week is, um, you know, everybody on this show is somebody that, that has lived their dream to an extent, right. And Mm -hmm. is living their dream and to humanize all of you people who managed to do that and make a living at it, which is, 
is something I aspire to in a big way. Um, the humanizer is, what's your guilty pleasure? Do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there anything that you indulge in that you hope nobody like sees you do it or watches you? Or is there anything you go, oh, I can't believe I'm like into this. Is there anything like that? Honest to God, uh, I'm not embarrassed of anything I like. As a matter of fact, my I wife and the people who know and love me know that I can arrange, I can put a floral arrangement together better than any gay guy you've ever met. <laughs> they know I know where the best candles are. They know I know how to set a room up. Uh, I, 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 if you heard me talk to my kids or my dogs with baby voices and stupid, silly voices, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a clown all day long. Mm -hmm. I know I like to, or people like to throw the, the tough guy tag and hey, AJ, New York, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, I'm the gayest straight guy you know, but I'm not embarrassed about anything at all. And, you know, you mentioned living your dream. And I guess I know I am, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that your dream is always fruitful. Mm -hmm. You know, people have to understand that living your dream is no different than any other job. I'm very thrilled that I can do what I get to do, uh, go to a job that... I don't have a I don't have a boss that wants me to punch a clock and be mm -hmm. here on a holiday or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I've got buddies that have pensions that have beautiful homes and their kids are, are are up and out of the house and they're empty nesters now and they're traveling the world and I'm still working my ass off and there are times where I'm flat fucking broke. Mm -hmm. So uh, Okay, let me ask you a question on that. If you had to if you had to take a choice between having the pension, the travel, and all of that, but have lived a life not hanging out with Jack Nicholson, not hanging out with John Kennedy, not doing those things, living like the same life, but having that security now, would you trade what you've lived for no. that security now? No, I wouldn't have traded it because I know that I wouldn't have lasted. I would have died young of boredom, <laughs> of, of, of I don't know what kind of stroke I would have had. Uh, showing up at a job. I, I did have those jobs. I did. And, you know, it wasn't, it was not even, it was a little over five years ago where I lost everything and had to go back to New York and I drove a, a cab and I sold TVs. And in that time, in that, in those mornings in the cab at 5 a.m., that's how I wrote my book, my mm -hmm. second book. And that's where I had the idea to pitch a TV show to the Reels channel. And it, so, you know, God gives you gifts even when they taste like shit. They're, they're candy wrapped in shit. You just got to take enough bites out of it to find the center. It's in there. I love that wisdom. There. Thank you so much, AJ, for coming. And um, I, I look so forward to your show and um, for everything that's coming from you in the future. And I have no doubt that you're going to find the candy in the shit. Yeah, I've got shit breath tonight. I can tell you that. But... Candy breath next week, I promise Candy you. Candy breath next week. Thanks so much, AJ. <laughs> Thank you. I adore you. Of course. I love you, too. So, Wheezy DJ, that was fantastic. AJ is amazing. You know, on the one hand, I have to say there's a part of me that goes, because, you know, there's a part of me that's really protective of celebrities because, you know, I, I have a lot of celebrity friends like AJ does, like you guys do, that yep. that I'm really protective of. And, and I'm like, oh, but he was like telling their, but that was like, that was then. My that was then. celebrity friends are very cool with AJ. 
He's yeah. a great storyteller. He's a great storyteller. I and I ha- think I he's going to be great having his own podcast. For me, I think the takeaway with AJ, by the way, it was killing me, all of you out in Cyberland, because um, our own Wheezy was uh, a defense, was, was a defense. I was a witness for the prosecution. Witness for the prosecu- witness for the prosecution. They should make a movie named that. Was a witness for the prosecution in the Michael Jackson case and has a whole history. And actually, she met her husband. Um, on that case, and uh, they fell in love, and um, uh, because he was the prosecuting, uh, he was the prosecutor, correct? Yes, he was. Ron and Zonin. Ron yeah. Zonin. Zonin. I said Zonin. Zon- Ron Zonin, prosecutor mm-hmm. on the Michael Jackson case. Yeah. It, so this is not a good way for your name to be in the news. This no. was there was nothing funny <laughs> about or fun. There was nothing fun about any of this. I was simply defending a child that I had mentored. Right. But I mean, it was just a crazy coincidence connection that 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 was a big part of AJ's story. Yes. And that here you're sitting a few feet away, six degrees of everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think the takeaway with AJ and we got to it sort of at the very end there was okay, so you're not in the place where you once were where they're paying you $350,000 to not work and to go to New York. You know, he, he admitted he had to, to drive a car and he had to do, you know, he was flat busted. But he's, he's as he's done, he's done it his way, right? He's lived the Frank Sinatra kind of mantra. And if he had to do it all over again, would he do it differently? No. And, you know, I, I so relate to that that, I think ultimately following our path, following our dream, following my dream, following my path is about doing what I love and what feels right. And they always say, if you do what you love, success will follow. Well, I'm getting freaking old. So (laughs) I'm 61. I'm ready. AJ's ready for that next wave. He had the big wave. I haven't had Mm. that big wave yet. Mm. But to me, I really think that the takeaway with AJ is to do what you love, what feels good, what feels right, what's what's satisfying on a daily basis. I think you have to be honest about how hard you're pressing on that accelerator and you have to accept the consequences because this guy is going for it. He lives fast, yeah. and he and he's bold. Then he he takes whatever comes at him and he handles it. Mm-hmm. That's what I got. I, I love that. How and, about you? And he's, and he's fine with the lows of it. Uh, whatever. Yes. What was his quote? I, I I wanted to ask him if he made that quote up or if if that's his. What was that? Whatever it was about um, eating shit. Oh, yeah, oh, put the was, candy inside. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, that's that, in a recipe like, book. He, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that was all AJ, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounded like pure AJ to me. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a shit can. It's, it's, it's shit with a candy You got to take a couple bites of shit to get to the candy <laughs> or whatever. To, I was like, that's yeah, that was, that's that, fantastic. That is fantastic. And, and that, that's a great takeaway, yeah. that, the, yeah. that the, 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 the candy's inside, that you yeah. just got to get Keep past. Keep chewing until you get to some candy. Keep chewing until you get to some candy. Well, great show, you guys. Thank you so much. I, I, I loved every minute of this. Thanks for, for joining me on The Road Taken. See you guys next week. The Road Taken is a radio-free podcast here whenever you are. A new show every Tuesday. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the corner of Hollywood and Vine where I'll be using a bullhorn. Well, you can also get links to all this and more at VickiAbelson.com. That's V-I-C-K-I-A-B-E-L-S-O-N. Please follow, subscribe, review, lather, rinse, repeat. Till next Tuesday. And mine and binge our archive while you're at it. It's rich with information, inspiration, and fun, damn it. Thanks for listening. 
And if you like to watch, keep your eyes peeled for our next Facebook Live. <laughs>